The most essential truth of the Christian faith is that the God of the entire universe has spoken to us in his word and in his son. Welcome to the Her God Speaks podcast, where we take that personally as we open our Bibles and dig deep into the life-giving, anxiety-crushing, identity-shaping truth of the scriptures. Whether you're busy washing dishes, working out, driving home from work, or carving out a rare moment to relax, I pray you'll find this podcast a source of refreshing, hope-filled Bible teaching that makes a difference in your life right now. Because wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however you're feeling, God's right there in the middle of it. So let's open our Bibles and find Him. Welcome to the Her God Speaks podcast. I am your host, April Swears, here with my friend, Brooke Angel, and we are about to land this plane. This is the final episode of our summer series called God in the Psalms. How are you feeling about that, Brooke? I'm genuinely sad. This has been so much fun. It has been a lot of fun. For one, because we get to hang out without interruption. I know. No children. No children. We get to take our time. And do whatever we want. Other, I mean, we have to record this, obviously, we but we have fun. It doesn't feel like we're working. It's not sure. work. It's fun <laughs> and genuine conversation. And I love that. Um, and it's gone by really fast. I feel like it's gone by really fast. So I am sad, but I don't know. How are you feeling? Well, I'm feeling good about what you just said because it means that maybe you'll come back and do this again. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Will, you won't have to um, bribe me as okay. much as you did this for this podcast. All right. Got it. Coerce me into doing it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I I have mixed feelings about the podcast. This, I mean, obviously it's it's a lot of prep time, which I thoroughly love doing. But I am, you know, at our church, we have the fall semester of women's Bible study Mm -hmm. starting very soon. I'm going to be teaching through the book of Isaiah, which what crazy person decided (laughs) that I was going to teach through that book? It was probably you. Was it you? Yeah. Okay. It was me. No one assigned it to you. You (laughs) assigned it to yourself. Yeah. I have always wanted to teach through. Yeah. I'm excited for it. And I'm a very much a go big or go home person. Yeah. So like why choose a short one? And we haven't, I mean, this is like kicking back off fall Bible study, you know, after the craziness that we've been through. And so it's exciting to like go big for it. We might even get to have coffee and stuff and like actually, See people face to face. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So um, anyway, it is quite a beast. Yeah. So that has kind of been occupying my attention. So that will be like trying to do both has been certainly a challenge. So it's a little bit of like, okay, this is going to get a little easier, but genuinely always sad when when something like this ends. And um, I just love the Psalms. I am pretty sure like at least once a year do some kind of series in the Psalms. I could totally get down for that because there's so many of them, first there of all. Are. Yes. And we've said this before, like there's always something new you could learn, mm-hmm. whether it's from, you know, an unfamiliar passage or a passage that you're familiar with. Yeah. Um, so it will never get old. Yeah. You know, these for sure. verses and these chapters will never get old. So I think that'd be a really cool idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Just, and they're just, I don't know. They're not intimidating, yeah, which, which right, is nice. Right. Unlike, well, unlike the book of Isaiah. <laughs> they're not intimidating. If, if you think about it, pray for April as she <laughs> prepares to teach the book of Isaiah. Yes, yes. And if you're sitting under her teaching for Isaiah, show her some grace. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It'll be great. I'm for excited. Sure. I'm, I am really excited. I really too. am. 
It's kind of cool to go from, not that the Psalms are, I don't know, just super easy, but a casual kind Mm -hmm. of sort of teaching to, you know, a more thorough, deep teaching in Isaiah. So that is exciting. Yeah. At least for the people who will be able to. For sure. Attend that and hear you. So. Yeah. And hopefully a lot of listeners are, have their own, you know, Bible studies at their churches. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I know that there's something next for the podcast. So what's next? All right, so there's going to be a break, probably about a month. Yeah. It might go a little bit longer. I don't know. I have to get my bearings. Also, um, you know, my youngest, Landon's going back to school. Yep, school so that'll starts be a huge soon. transition mm-hmm. uh, for him. So I don't really know what the future yeah. holds, a lot of question marks. Um, and I was trying to nail down what we were going to study next. I honestly yeah. don't know that either. It's funny. I was talking to the girl who does a lot of the graphic design stuff uh, for me today. And she was asking about, she's talking about the Instagram reels that I'm yeah. doing. And she's like, so can you give me like a little insight? What do you have planned <laughs> for those? And I was like, did you tell her? You yeah. think I have a plan? I was say, did you tell her your honest <laughs> thought process through those? Because I was like, the plan is I'm washing my hair in the shower and I get an idea yeah, uh-huh. and I do it and I post it the next day. What was that one <laughs> morning you texted me like the night before at like literally 3 a.m. You were sitting up writing down all these real yes, ideas. I yeah. just had like this. Yeah. So many ideas. Yes. And I, yeah, had to get them out. So, so there's no, the process is no process. The process yes. is no, and, and that that's is just okay. the absolute season of yeah. life I'm in. Well, you know, you know, and it, that's how it, it is right now. And it's working. It's working. It's working. It's sure. <laughs> April, it's working. Tell yourself it's working. <laughs> it's working. So <laughs> there is no plan other than we are going to go. The plan is break. no plan, but the podcast is still going to be around. Yes. Yes. But it's to be determined. That's right. That's all right. That's right. And if any listeners haven't uh, walked through the She Series, yeah. that is something you can work through. Sure. Also, even before that, I went ahead and archived a series I did for our local church on the Psalms of Lament. So that's oh, another yeah. one. It's called Hard Feelings. Yeah. So um, not that there aren't like five bajillion podcasts that can fill this gap well, for people. Yeah. But if but they, if you know, if they needed some one. Her God yeah. Speaks, Absolutely. then there, there are some. They there wanted some, some April Swears. That's right. Yes. That's right. There's, it's available. <laughs> um, so anyway, well, we are in Psalm 37 today, which contains the repeated refrain, do not fret. The CSB translates it, do not be agitated, which mm-hmm. sort of sparked an idea for our conversation yeah. here. All right. Now, we are going to get to the actual meaning of that (laughs) phrase in the biblical text in a little bit, which Mm. I want to be clear has absolutely nothing to do with with the conversation. This is the out of context (laughs) conversation. Yeah. Straight out of context. (laughs) Uh, Nothing to do with the conversation we're about to have. Yeah. But I would love to know in the spirit of lighthearted banter. Yeah, of course. What gets Brooke Angel a little bit (laughs) agitated? Like, what are your pet peeves? And I don't know this about you yet. And as a friend, I feel like I need to know because what if I'm doing something right now? That is like really irritating to you. And I, I don't even know that I'm doing. <laughs> well, because I'm a nine, I would never tell you. You would never tell so me. So I hope that. wearing earphones <laughs> isn't irritating. No, it's okay. not irritating at all. That's funny. Well, yeah, you kind of joked with me before we started this that I'm a nine and there's probably nothing that bothers me. Or if there is, I would never say it. You suppressed um, it like 20 years ago. Yeah, probably. I'm still <laughs> dealing with it internally. Um, it's okay. I'll get there one day. That's why you have to go. That's why you have to go on drives in your car with no Starbucks. Oh my gosh. (laughs) In silence. Yeah. Um, no pet peeves are what? They're silly little things that bother you. Yeah. You know, yeah. Just get you kind of look get a little under your skin. Yeah. Under your skin. That's a good way to say it. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, more serious pet peeve. Cause I have two. One's kind of silly. One's kind of more serious. More serious pet peeve is the people who, 
leave their carts in the parking lot at the grocery store. Oh, are you one of those? Well, not anymore. April. I, I went through a season of motherhood <laughs> where I was a repeat offender. A repeat offender. <laughs> okay. I will say I'm not there yet. I only have one. It's easy for me to walk my, and I do purposely park like as close to yeah, the yeah, cart yeah. thing as possible. No, I could totally see you but not, not even ever being able to handle no, I, your cart. No, it bothers me. Like even the thought of even me like thinking, should I do this thing? Just leave it. Like that bugs me. Yeah. 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 Like I can't, I can't. When well, like, there'll be five people in the parking lot who see me do this. I just, uh-huh. I can't do it. That's a pet peeve. I don't know why it just really gets so under my skin. Have you ever like, you've seen a great parking spot and you go to pull in and someone's cart. Oh is my in the way. word. That's the, that worst. must just like completely send you. Yeah. It spirals me a little bit. Yeah. Because it triggers, yeah. It very triggering. Oh my word. And then I just have to go drive in the parking lot in silence for a minute to get uh-huh. over it. Yeah. No, that, yeah, that really bugs me. I think because my personality just wants to do what's right all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and never like I, even like if I was a mom with two kids and it's raining or whatever, like generally people would understand. Right. Mm-hmm. But I would tell myself that people wouldn't understand. And You're going to like full on risk getting struck by lightning Probably. to return that car <laughs> with my kids on my hips. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like completely putting them in danger. Cause I'm afraid someone's going to look at me funny. Oh, oh man. That's just my personality for sure. Okay, but okay. Second one. Second one that's silly is my husband. God bless him. I love him so much, but he, for some reason cannot put trash in the trash can. It goes on the kitchen counter right next. This is shocking to, the to tra- me because your husband is yes, very, right? very clean. And he very... always tells me this is the one thing that I like, just, I don't know. He just does it. Like, wow. isn't that crazy? Yeah. But I just recently sent a picture of it in a group chat with some friends because he did it <laughs> like yesterday, the day before. And like the trash is right on the counter. And all he had to do was pull the yeah. trash can out from under the kitchen cabinet. Uh-huh. Um, and for some reason that just really, really, bu- <laughs> like my whole, cause I like to keep my kitchen counter like clean, clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. So when the whole counter is clean and like his trash is just right there. Yeah. Oh man. It really stands out on your it counters. Out it wouldn't on stand out on mine. Clean, <laughs> <laughs> on my clean white countertops. Yeah. So See, most, most guys do that with laundry. Yeah. And th- that's not, Matthew's that's, probably perfect. No, with laundry. Yeah, yeah. Laundry. It's just like, he needs and that's why I was little... always like, this is the one thing. Yeah. Just like, give me some, br- give Come me on, a break. Bro, give and like, I should. Thing. Right. But every, literally every day, <laughs> every day it's a problem. And I just, I'm just like, what is happening? <laughs> so that's just a silly one, but that's what pet peeves yeah, are. Yeah. Silly. They so, are, they're, they're silly. Yeah. I don't know. That, yeah. that was a lot those of me. Good. I like those. What, what I are, like what are yours? All right. So one of them is like the misuse of blinkers. When people, just when blinkers aren't used, like blinker, it's not hard. I think I might be a an offender. Of oh, you're Brooke. the cart offender, and I think I might be the blinker Man. offender. Yeah. One time I was <laughs> driving behind somebody, and they didn't put their blinker mm. on, and I almost like ran into them. When I drove past them, well, our audience can't see me, but I like took my <laughs> hand and like flashed it. Like I didn't give him the finger; I gave him you five gave him fingers. The <laughs> going put out your blinkers and in. on. Put your blinker yeah, on. I can and, see that. Yeah. I can see that. And. You know, speaking of our dear, wonderful husbands, Greg is yeah. blinker optional. Yeah. So he's sure. an offender of that. He yeah. Is very much. I like four-way stops. I'm like, if there's one place well, you kind of, blinkers are like extremely That is helpful. necessary. It yeah. is very necessary. That's a necessary one. Yeah. 
Yeah, I just get in the habit of like, if there's no one behind me, obvious, like I just don't use it, but then that will translate into like, there's actually someone behind me and I forget to turn yeah. it on, you know? So I I'm the person that oh, I could man. be in like a barren wasteland of a place. Your blinker's on like well on. before you're turning. <laughs> yes. Let, letting the cows know that you're turning. <laughs> letting the cows yeah. know. Okay, right. so we each offend one of yeah, the other's yeah, yeah. pet peeves. We All do. right, so what's we your do. other one? Um, Overuse of the word literally. Oh, this I'm is an offender of that. really bad. And not that I, oh, I do too. I think it's so much a part of our lingo <laughs> is, right yeah. now. It is. My kids, you know, they watch these people play video games on YouTube and those people say, oh, they just say it just yeah. over and over. And so like when someone says, <laughs> um, I don't know, like that literally blew my mind. I'm like, no, it didn't. If it blew your mind, you'd be dead. If it literally it, blew your mind, you would be dead. They're like, it's literally the best thing I've ever had. I'm like, it's a chicken tender. Are you serious? It's not actually. I mean, have you had Chick-fil-A chicken tenders though? Like literally those are the best chicken tenders. <laughs> <laughs> I offend both of your pet peeves. Well, oh, how are we friends? So oh wow. man. I've never, I've never personally so heard So you've you never been, okay, victimized by my use of the word. No, literally. I never have. Okay. Right. But I feel like we're close enough now. I might correct you. I might be like, so you would just tell me, yeah. Like you would just tell me. And my my family makes fun of me because <laughs> somebody will say literally, and they all look at me. I'm like, it means actually. Is it actually what you're saying? Is it actually? <laughs> Do you mean that? Because if you know what you said, you would not yes. mean. And what if you're you speaking said. metaphorically, you cannot use the word literally. <laughs> oh my word! I love it. I love it. That's yeah. great. Yeah, good times. So <laughs> little things that get us, little things that get us agitated. Oh gosh, that's so funny. All right, well, we yeah. are here to study the Bible. Yep, yep. And like we I are. said, I want to say once again, that has absolutely nothing to do with No, Psalm that was totally out of context. Just, just fun. Just, the just Lord doesn't talk about our pet peeves. No. So yes. No, Psalm 37 is not about our pet peeves. <laughs> Though I guarantee you some joker gets up on Sunday morning somewhere in the country. And Probably. Takes, oh, for yeah. sure. 100%. You know what happens. <laughs> it happens. <laughs> All right, so what oh, do you man. have like a favorite verse, favorite section? What, what do you love about Psalm 37? Yeah, so... This is a long one. It is. We just came off Psalm 23, which is relatively short. Yeah. Yeah. So going into this chapter, I mean, there's a lot and you're going to cover this. I know you're going to cover all of it. Um, And, you know, what is happening in the writing here. But I, I really love verse seven. um, And I had it highlighted in my Bible before this. Um, It says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret over their wicked schemes. Um, and not even just relating to like evil, like the context in which evil people, which I know that's what it's referring to, but just the idea of being patient for the Lord to act. Yeah. Um, I think so many times, whether it's, you know, circumstances in our life or dealing with like wicked people, which is what this verse is referring to, we want to take ownership and we want to be the ones who deal with whatever the circumstance is. Um, And so just the challenge, I guess, that this verse offers of waiting for the Lord to act and waiting patiently for him to act because he may not and very well not Mm -hmm. act when we feel like he needs to act on something. Um, And so I think it's, it, that verse is a challenge, you know, it's, it's, challenging us as followers of Jesus to wait patiently for the Lord to act, um, on whatever we feel like he needs to act on. I think our listeners are really going to get a lot out of this one. Yeah, for sure. Your favorite verse. 
in this chapter? Well, I kind of, I guess it's more the theme. Yeah. I, I guess ver- verse eight that I, okay. I'm playing right off of what you, okay. what you have. Uh, there's so many favorites. So maybe we should just get right into it. <laughs> I think lesson. we should. That's probably the best. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Let's go. Let's go. In late spring of 2018, thousands upon thousands of Americans flocked to the theaters to see Avengers Infinity War. I was one of them. I was also one of thousands upon thousands of Americans who left the theater in a state of emotional turmoil. In case you didn't see it, here's my summary. After three hours of intense, heart-thumping, edge-of-your-seat action, the good guys die, and the bad guy who's the most disgusting creature imaginable, wins. Then he kills off half the world's population. Worst ending ever. I was stunned, horrified. The good guys are supposed to win. Sure, about halfway through the movie, there needs to be some suspense, something that makes us wonder if the hero will emerge victorious or not. But by the end, that should be resolved. And we should all go home rejoicing that good has once again triumphed over evil. Doesn't everyone know this? After the movie, my poor husband had to answer dozens of questions that went something like this. Greg, the Avengers that died, they aren't actually dead, right? Like they're dead, but not dead dead. Have you ever read the comic books this movie's based on? Can you tell me what happens? Thanos has to die, right? I mean, he can't have all the power and kill everyone and take over the world and that'd be the end of it, right? How about Spider-Man and Black Panther? What about them? They're still alive. They have to still be alive. The Avengers that are left, they'll join forces and save the world, won't they? And when does the next movie come out? What? I have to wait how long? April 2019. That's when the fourth and last movie, Avengers Endgame, was released. We had to wait a whole year for a resolution. Now, as believers, we don't know how long we'll be waiting for the final installment of God's sovereign decree for the world. Only he knows when his end game will come to pass. As of today, from our very limited perspective, the good guys are definitely losing. The enemy appears to have all power. The wicked prosper, while the ones who love Jesus suffer under the fierce onslaught of Satan's rage. As I scan news headlines, I can't help but feel a little bit like I felt when the credits started to roll on Infinity Wars. Really? Are you kidding me? Is this what it's come to? This cannot be happening. But it is. It is happening. So what do we, as the people of God, do as we wait for the end game? How do we handle the injustice How do we process the prosperity of the wicked? How do we respond when, at least for now, the bad guys are winning? How are we to think and live in a culture that is increasingly hostile toward everything we believe? Well, the answer, at least in part, is Psalm 37. I want to start out by talking about the format and purpose of the psalm. If you're working through the study guide that goes along with this series, I'm sure you notice that it's quite long. This is because it's an alphabetic acrostic, which we'd be able to see if we had a Hebrew Bible and knew the Hebrew alphabet. It doesn't come across in our English translations. 
In the time of David, believers didn't have 15 copies of the Bible collecting dust on their bookshelves. The scriptures as they had it were copied by hand. So the average person wouldn't have a copy at all. And this made memorization incredibly important, and that's the purpose for alphabetic acrostic poetry. It was a teaching aid, a memory device. I mention this because it helps us understand the purpose of this particular psalm. This is one of the few psalms in the first David collection without the words, O Lord, or O God. It's not a prayer or a song of praise. In this one, David is addressing his fellow believers, and his purpose is to teach, to instruct. In fact, this psalm would almost fit better in the book of Proverbs. There's a very strong wisdom element here. For that reason, Psalm 37 is incredibly practical. David doesn't seek to explain the harsh reality of the prosperity of the wicked. He doesn't attempt to tell us why God allows this or what purpose it serves. Instead, he gives instructions. He tells us what to do as we stand by and watch evil flourish all around. And the overarching commands are stated negatively. Take a look at verse 1. Do not be agitated by evildoers. Do not envy those who do wrong. Now, chances are your translation says, do not fret. And that word fret or get agitated in my translation means to get excited, to be or become hot, angry, to kindle. It's getting all worked up about something, getting heated and anxious. Now, after reading that definition, I have decided that Facebook should be called Fretbook, right? I mean, it's where people who are all worked up and heated about stuff go to vent their frustrations. The same thing is true of Twitter, which is why I am an Instagram girl. All I want to see are pictures of babies and food and puppies and beautiful landscapes. There doesn't seem to be quite as many meanies on that app, so I'm all for it. All right, so the second command we saw there in verse one was do not be envious or don't get jealous. Now, this is way harder than it sounds. Let me give you some scenarios to really drive it home. Imagine a girl who chooses early on to walk in purity, to uphold high standards in dating relationships. She does it right. She starts praying for her husband years before she's even ready to be married. She loves the Lord so much and she's been faithful. There's no doubt in anyone's mind that she'd make the best wife and mom. She's 40 and still single. Over the last decade, she's watched dozens of friends and acquaintances get married who had no standards, who slept around all through high school and college, who even now don't have a heart for the Lord. From all appearances, they get the reward. Well, she's denied this longing of her heart. Or think about the woman who has dreamed her whole life of being a mom, She loves Jesus. She married a man who loves Jesus, and they are wholeheartedly committed to raising children who love Jesus. Five years and a few miscarriages later, they are still childless. And one day, she's flipping through channels and happens upon a reality TV show. She watches a clueless, self-absorbed teenager who had sex with some pump kid she barely knows bring a baby home to utter dysfunction. Tears stream down her face as she thinks to herself, this just isn't fair. Why her and not me? Or how about the woman who sought to glorify Jesus by doing her job with excellence? She's a godly woman with an amazing work ethic. She's on the short list for a promotion, but the jerk down the hall ends up getting it. And we see this not just on an individual level, but on a national level too. Evil wins all the time. 
there are inequities in life that are really hard to swallow. The natural response of our sinful hearts is to be fretful and jealous. We get worked up and we want what they have. This command to not envy those who do wrong definitely fits real life. And we see the command to not fret or be agitated repeated in verses 7 and 8. Take a look at those. It says, be silent before the Lord and wait expectantly for him. Do not be agitated or do not fret by one who prospers in his way, by the person who carries out evil plans. Refrain from anger and give up your rage. Do not be agitated. It can only bring harm. Now, Calvin says the repetition of fret not or do not be agitated mirrors how unceasingly we wrestle against the tumultuous passions in regard to the success and prosperity of the wicked. How true that is. Have you ever tried to flip the switch on fretfulness and envy? Like, just turn it off. Not so easy, right? In fact, I would argue that it can't simply be turned off. You can't just will yourself to stop fretting. Our preoccupation with the success of the ungodly has to be replaced with something else. It's got to be ousted by a new focus, which is why we have a whole slew of positive commands in the psalm, all connected with the prepositional phrase, in the Lord. Take a look. Verse 3 says, trust in the Lord. Verse 4, delight in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him. Verse 7, rest in the Lord. Your Bible might say, be silent before the Lord. So trust, delight, commit, rest. What all of those verbs are expressing is the truth that we fight fretting by fixing our eyes on the faithfulness of God. That's our main idea today. Let me say it again. We fight fretting by fixing our eyes on the faithfulness of God. What I love so much about Psalm 37 is that it gives us several rock-solid reasons to trust rather than fret. And we're going to take a look at five of them in our time together today. Number one, we can trust rather than fret because God preserves his people forever. The primary contrast that's drawn between the wicked and the righteous throughout the psalm is in regards to their future Here's a quick rundown of what the psalm says about the future of the wicked. Verse 2 says, They will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Verse 9 says, Evildoers will be cut off. Verse 10 says, Yet a little while, and the wicked will be no more. And you'll look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. Verse 20 says, The wicked will perish, and the enemies of the Lord will be like the glory of the pastures. They vanish like smoke. They vanish away. Verse 22 says, those cursed by him will be cut off. Verse 28 says, the descendants of the wicked will be cut off. Verse 34 says, when the wicked are cut off. Verse 38 says, transgressors will be together destroyed. The posterity of the wicked will be cut off. And these references made me think of when I lived in North Carolina. Now, I was born and raised in Florida. If you want tulips here, You buy them at the store, already cut and ready for a vase. They don't pop out of the ground. Well, I lived in North Carolina for one semester of seminary, and I will never forget driving to school one day and seeing tulips everywhere. They're just so beautiful. Now, I was under the impression that they would last all spring, but no, they bloomed for about a week, maybe two, 
and then they were gone. I moved back home before I ever got to see them again. The lives of the wicked can be so spectacular. But the message of this psalm is that like those tulips, they are temporary. In stark contrast, look at what the passage says about the future of the godly. Verse 9, they will inherit the land. Verses 17 and 18, the Lord sustains the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless and their inheritance will be forever. Verse 28 says, for the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his godly ones. They are preserved forever. Verse 29 says, the righteous will inherit the land and dwell in it. Can you guess how it ends? Yep, forever. In verse 37, the man of peace will have a future. The key word repeated again and again and again is the word forever. What a stark contrast to the repeated phrase cut off that we saw again and again and again in regards to the wicked. Why trust rather than fret? Because the Lord preserves his people forever. Now, the second rock-solid reason to trust is that God satisfies the righteous. Look at verses 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do what is good. Dwell in the land and live securely. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. In the fall of 2016, Oprah appeared on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, and they exchanged favorite Bible verses— Oprah chose Psalm 37.4. Now to her, this verse means, if you focus on being a force for good, then good will come. What's sad is that Christians often read this verse the same way. Be a good person, obey all the rules, do all the right things, and good will come to you. You'll get what you want. But that's not what this verse says. The word is delight. It means to take pleasure in, to refresh yourself. It's a word that connotes joy and deep satisfaction. And the object of delight is the Lord, Yahweh. And that makes a lot of sense because he is infinitely delightful. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. Psalm 43, 4 says, then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy Psalm 36, 7 and 8 says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They drink their fill of the abundance of your house, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. Psalm 63, 3 through 5 says, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praise with joyful lips. As we feast on the all-satisfying, intensely pleasurable feast of God's goodness, what do you think happens to our desires? That's right, they change. We become what we behold, right? So as we make God our focus, as we feed on his faithfulness as we delight ourselves in the marrow and fatness of his glorious character, our desires are conformed to his desires for us. He purifies the desires of our hearts and is therefore able to give us the desires 
of our hearts. What we see woven throughout the entire psalm is the fact that the wicked have stuff, lots and lots of stuff, but the righteous are satisfied. We've got to know that there is a difference. The wicked, with their abundance of stuff, are pictured again and again as always groping for more, while the righteous out of their poverty, are pictured as generous, abundant givers. Take a look at this. Look at verse 21 of Psalm 37. The wicked person borrows and does not repay, but the righteous one is gracious and giving. We see the generosity of the righteous again in verse 26. It says, he is always generous, always lending, and his children are a blessing. Why trust rather than fret? Because God satisfies the righteous. As we move on, we see that God works mightily on behalf of those who wait. That's another reason to trust him. We see this in verses five and six. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act, making your righteousness shine like the dawn, your justice like the noonday. Now that word commit means to roll as though getting rid of a heavy burden. Now, there's a big round boulder next to you right now. You need it to move. I doubt you would even attempt to pick it up, right? You'd roll it. In fact, that's probably the only option you would have for getting it out of the way. When it comes to our cares, our anxiety, our fretfulness, all of those tumultuous emotions that we experience in a life that is full of inequities, the same thing is true. These things are way too big to carry, but we can, through prayer and meditation on God's word, roll them on to the Lord. I look at that phrase, trust also in him and he will do it. Do what? Well, verse six tells us he will make our righteousness shine like the dawn and our justice like the noonday. You know, it's really hard to do the right thing and not get rewarded for it. It's even harder to do the right thing and suffer for it. If you've ever read the book of 1 Peter, you know that suffering for doing what is right is part of living as aliens and strangers in a world that's not our home. The Bible makes no attempt to sugarcoat that. I recently read through the story of Joseph again, and we see it there too. Remember the part where Potiphar's wife tries day after day to seduce Joseph, and day after day he resists the temptation, Finally, it gets to the point where she's so aggressive that he has to literally run away. Now, as believers reading that narrative, we're ready to give him a round of applause. Well done, Joseph. Let's get him the victory over sexual temptation trophy. But in his real life experience, he wasn't applauded or rewarded. Instead, he was accused of rape and thrown into prison. Every time I read that, I'm so mad. It's not fair. Thankfully, that's not the end of Joseph's story. After a few years in prison, he's finally vindicated. He's given the opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dreams, and he rises to a position of great authority. But let's not forget those two years. Two long years suffering for doing the right thing. But after that season of suffering, God does bring forth his righteousness as the light and his judgment as the noonday. 
Isaiah 64, 4 says, For from of old they have not heard nor perceived by ear, neither has the eye seen a God besides you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. What an amazing promise. Look at how this plays out in verses 12 through 15. It says, The wicked person schemes against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. What a vivid image. Verse 13 says, The Lord laughs at him because he sees that his day is coming. The wicked have drawn the sword and strung the bow to bring down the poor and needy and to slaughter those whose way is upright. But look at the contrast in verse 15. Their swords will enter their own hearts and their bows will be broken. Why trust rather than fret? Because God works on behalf of those who wait. The next thing we see is that God has an inheritance for the humble. That's another reason we can trust him. Look at verse 11. It says, but the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. Now, this inheritance is another repeated concept throughout the entire psalm. It's actually mentioned five times. You can find it verse 9, verse 22, 29, and 34. This was also a major point in Jesus' teaching. Listen to Matthew 5, verses 1 through 5. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, the disciples came to him. And he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Jesus is talking about entrance into the new heaven and new earth, the consummation of his messianic kingdom, the eternal state, what most of us commonly think of as heaven. In the new covenant, that is the promised land for the people of God. You've probably heard it described this way. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his people's. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. He also said, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowards, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There you go, guys. Psalm 37. In the book of Revelation, that very same contrast that David presents to us, that Jesus talks about, is there in the vision of John. Again and again, Jesus tells his disciples that those who sacrifice now, who suffer for Christ and become least in this age, will inherit a place of honor in the age to come. 
in his book, Not God Enough, Why Your Small God Leads to Big Problems, J.D. Greer writes this. says, a friend and father of three that I know was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive form of brain cancer. Doctors told him initially that his chances of survival were not good. He is praying, as are many of us, for complete and total healing. But he said something the other day that brought it all into perspective. He said, when we get to heaven, it's not that we'll look back and see the reasons bad things happened and say, oh, that's why it happened. Rather, we will say, what bad things? In that moment, we will be so consumed with God and our future in him that we will scarcely remember the process he used, end quote. Mother Teresa, who experienced great suffering in her life, said that once we enter eternity, the worst things we experience on earth will seem like, and I'm quoting here, one bad night in a cheap hotel. Paul said it this way in Romans 8, 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Why trust rather than fret? Because God has an inheritance for the humble. The last thing we see in this psalm, the last reason we have to trust rather than fret is that God supplies superior prosperity for his people. Look again at verse 11. But the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. Now that word translated prosperity is shalom. The English word prosperity connotes material wealth, but shalom is so much bigger than that. It means completeness, soundness, peace, deep satisfaction. There's a lot of talk about wellness these days. As I understand it, shalom is the ultimate state of wellness, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual wellness. It's a wholeness, a flourishing that only comes from being right with God through a relationship with his son, Jesus. I don't imagine there will be any doctors or mental health specialists or wellness retreat centers in the new heaven and the new earth because there will be no need for them. It will be a place of perfect shalom. Back to verse 11. It says, but the humble will inherit the land and will enjoy abundant prosperity. Your translation might say, delight themselves in abundant shalom. Everything about the words David uses here express lavish, over-the-top, extravagant provision. That's what the people of God have coming. I came across a quote a while back that I'm surprised I hadn't seen before. It's catchy and cute, so you'd think it would be on t-shirts and coffee mugs and wall decor. Maybe it is, and I just need to get out more. I don't know. But here's the quote. If it's not good, God's not done. As we look at our world, as we look at our lives, and we struggle with the inequities, we struggle with the injustice, we struggle with the harsh reality of really bad people prospering in their way, we have to remember that it's not over. That is one of the clear messages of this psalm. If it's not good, that's because God's not done. Three times in this psalm, we are told to wait. Verse 7, verse 9, verse 34. We wait in hope, confident that God will supply superior prosperity for his people. We get to taste shalom now, but we will feast on shalom forever and ever in the new heaven and the new earth. That is the destiny for every single one of God's children. 
Now, part of me wants to just keep on talking and talking and talking so that we don't have to officially end. Can you filibuster a podcast series? Is that a thing? (laughs) Well, the entire series in view, all nine weeks of marinating and these amazing truths about who God is, I want to leave you with a story. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to Europe with a group of women. We were asked to help with two women's conferences, one in Germany and the other in England. In between the two events, we planned a very quick trip to Paris. And by quick, I mean less than 24 hours. We, of course, were determined to see as much of the main sites as possible, one of them being the Louvre Museum. If you've ever been there, you know it's massive. Like You could probably spend a whole month touring the place and still not see everything. We budgeted about one hour. (laughs) So we get the map, we identify the locations of the really famous stuff, and bing, bang, boom, we are off to the next thing. I have to tell you, I don't remember a single thing that I saw. Like the giant glass pyramid on the outside, that's really it. That's the only image that comes to mind when I think of the Louvre, which is really sad. I have one other notable museum experience in my life. And it's going to the Appleton Museum of Art with my grandmother. Unlike the Louvre, it's not famous. It's in Ocala, Florida, where she lived. Throughout elementary and high school, she'd take me there whenever I'd visit. And I vividly remember walking through the exhibits, nice and slow, stopping to read all the descriptions, having conversations with her about the things that we saw. Most of the paintings and sculptures had a bench in front of them. We'd sit down and look at the art, talk about it, That's what those benches are for. They're not a rest stop. They're an invitation to behold, to linger, to learn. So I've been to the Louvre in Paris, France, and I've been to the Appleton Museum of Art in Ocala, Florida. Which one do you think left an indelible impression on my life? It's pretty obvious, right? The nature of our world and how we consume information has changed so much. Most of the spiritual truths we take in are in the form of little sound bites or memes or an Instagram post or a five-minute devotional. They're short, quick, snappy, bing, bang, boom, and you're on your way. And while we might benefit from those things, what we have to realize is that God possesses the kind of beauty and grandeur and majesty that requires a bench. We have to stop, sit, soak. We've got to behold Otherwise, we will never become the image bearers he created us to be. I'm sure you've heard the truth that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And here's what I want to say to you as we close this study. Satisfaction isn't found in the soundbite. It's experienced on the bench. God will not fit well into the margins of your life. He's too big. You have to slow down. You have to be still. You have to behold your God. That is how we become the women that he's created us to be. And with that exhortation, we are done with our God in the Psalm series. Man, this has been such a good one. I have had so much fun with you guys. Now, we're about to take a break, but that doesn't mean you can't spread the word. I bet you have friends who have never heard of this podcast, but would really enjoy walking through these Psalms. Shoot them a text, let them know about it, or maybe you love this series so much you'd like to take a small group of women through it this fall. The study guide combined with the weekly teaching would make this a perfect resource for something like that. 
And those digital study guides are available at hergodspeaks.com. If you haven't given Her God Speaks a follow on Instagram yet, go ahead and do that. We have a lot of fun there, and it's the best way to stay in the know about future podcast series. We're on Facebook as well. That page is a little neglected, maybe a lot neglected, but I will definitely be posting important announcements there as well. And hey, if you guys will buy lots and lots of workbooks, maybe I can like pay someone to make the Her God Speaks Facebook page not so lame. We'll see. Maybe. Maybe it could happen. (laughs) Well, may our God, who is fiercely committed to the good of his people and who will make good on every single promise, be big in your life this week. 